Uh, someone said, if you don't know me, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Establish. This is just awesome um, that we're gathering. Um, I don't know, how many months has it been? Three? Four? I don't know. I don't really keep track of time. I don't know how many weeks. Uh, someone can tell me after the gathering. I probably should have done more research. But it's been a long time. Um, so I think we can just celebrate the fact that we're here, um, that we're physically gathering, we're physically um, worshipping, you know, as God's people, as established church. I'm excited. Anyway, um, I'll just be excited here on the stage and you guys can do that in your own quiet way. Thanks, Meg. Meg was excited before as well. I think it's something to do with this stage, this platform. It just sort of beefs you up a little bit. I don't know about you, though. If you cast your mind back to just before we started to sort of, you know, life started to go back to normal, uh, remember the politicians and people called it Freedom Day. So we were still in lockdown. And, and we were anticipating Freedom Day. Uh, well, at least I was. It's like, oh, wow, we, we, can do, we can do church again. And we can go to coffee shops, and we can go to the pub, we can go to restaurants, we can go to the cinema, we can go to Westfield Miranda. You know, things are going to be free. And it's going to be amazing, and this big flurry of activity. And in many ways, that's exactly what it was. I remember going to Cronulla, um, yeah, on, on the, I think it was either the weekend before, or maybe it was for that weekend exactly, and the place was just packed absolutely just jam-packed with people. And yet, if you go out in the weeks and the months since then, it's almost like it's died off a bit. It's almost like it's been like this, you know, this huge stuttering, or this huge sort of, you know, sort of monumental activity, and now it's sort of stuttered off a little bit. Sometimes things seem really, really quiet, almost dead. I don't know if that's something that you've, you've experienced as well. Um, I went to a coffee shop just in Cronulla just the other day for a meeting on Wednesday. And Wednesday morning, it's at Ham, for you shy, Nullah people. Um, and Wednesday, 8 o'clock, Ham, packed. Always packed. Yet we walked in there, and there was hardly anyone in there. And most people were sort of sitting out the front. And hardly anyone was actually in the shops. I went to um, Westville Miranda, just, I think it was on Friday. And again, very similar. You walk through, and the place isn't busy, where normally you would expect it to be busy. It's almost like people are feeling a bit of hesitation about this idea of regathering in different arenas of our life. We're, we're a little bit nervous. And that takes us to, to church. I don't know if you thought about it, but seriously, like, well, why, why are we gathered? Why, why, why do we place this huge emphasis on gathering? Why? Like, church, it's not just established, by the way, but all churches have been geeing up for physically gathering again and I know other churches, uh, maybe some of you even go to other churches. Um, everyone's pumped up about it, but the question is why? Maybe you are even sitting here with some mixed feelings about gathering. Um, I've got some reasons maybe why gathering is not perfect, right? It's just become so easy to sit at home and stream, hasn't it? You know, you sit there with your blanket and your bottle of orange juice or your bottle of bubbly or whatever it is you have and just stream church. It's easy. So it's tempting like, to ask the question, well, do we need to gather? Interesting question. Uh, established did this huge sort of leap in technology. We can actually do everything. I don't know if you know this, but we can do everything online. We could probably hire a studio for an hour a week and produce a pretty schmick online experience every week from here on end. If we wanted to, it would be a lot cheaper. We have all the technology and all the bits and pieces and nooks and crannies to do that. Why don't we do that? What about safety? You know, COVID's still real. COVID's still a thing. Maybe you're even feeling a bit anxious about it here 
And now, maybe you're seeing Tim preach from the pulpit without a mask on, you know, oh, I don't like that. Safety. And the truth is, getting back and dealing with humans, real people, it's just a lot messier, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about this here and the kids at the back, and I hope kids and all that, don't get me wrong, but they're noisy, aren't they? And when you talk to people, you go, oh, that person's a bit awkward, they're hard to talk to. Oh, that person makes funny noises. Oh, that person wears weird T-shirts. Oh, what? Sorry, I'm just trying to pick on people who I'm looking at. As I'm... <laughs> but people are messy. Being at home is so much neater, isn't it? So much in a nice little box. And so it's a serious question. Why are we gathering? Why are these huge importance that we place in this emphasis on gathering? Why? Well, the simple answer is the Bible kind of commands it. It commands it. Luckily, though, it's not an arbitrary sort of command. It's not something that comes out with no reason or logic behind it. There's reasons why the Bible commands it. Now, I'm really going to focus in on a pretty common passage that really talks about this idea from Hebrews. Chile read it out really well. Um, but I'm going to drive into this idea of let us. And hopefully, as I, as I talk about that and use our language, you, you're picking up on the communal aspect that's the, word, that's the uh, language the writer of Hebrews himself uses. And so I'm going to talk about how we're commanded to draw near, let us draw near, that we are to let us hold fast and let us consider one another. So let us, the communal sort of uh, relational experience of being God's people. It's almost like we're not just saved to an individual experience of God, we're saved to a community in which to experience that. That's a whole other sermon series on its own. But let's push into what the writer says and commands here about the importance of gathering and how we can learn from it. So the first one, let us draw near. Let us draw near. I'm going to read from verse 19. This really talks into access. I'll explain what I mean. Then I'm going to push into adoration. So let us draw near, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is, his body. So, sort of subheading behind let us draw near is access. Access to what? Well, what he's actually saying there is quite remarkable. This is a communal experience, by the way. This happens in community is what he's saying. But if I, if I slow us down here, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. He's using a bit of in-house kind of Jewish language here. The holy place was a special sort of sacred place where only, a, only really highly purified Jewish religious people could go into. And he's saying through Jesus, now everyone can have access to the most high, to God to the creator of the universe, the person who created all things. Everyone has access. And it's communal. Look what he says in verse 20. By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. So that's another part, well, that's a big part of what we do physically when we gather. We kind of corporately enjoy this access to God and we just marvel at it. We have an unbridled access to the creator of the universe. A big part of church is celebrating that fact. I don't know if you ever think about church in that way. Do you get excited about church because of that reality? Just the other day I was on um, streaming, 
I think it was on Netflix, and I watched an old school movie. I'm probably showing my age. I used to watch it when I was a kid called Back to the Future. Yeah. Crazy, crazy old school movie. I think it came out in 1985. I was four years old. And there's this scene where he does it accidentally, but um, the main character, Marty McFly, um, he goes on the, is it the DeLorean? Is that the car? I can't remember. But he goes on this car, and he goes back in time into 1955. And you see this really quite amazing sort of picture. He's walking through this town he grew up in, but it's 50, 30, 40 years earlier. And he's like, wow, how am I here? This is amazing. I feel like Christians should have a similar experience. We're here in the presence of God. We have complete and unbroken access to the Lord God. And it happens in community. It happens in us as the drawn-together people of God. The second thing I think he draws out is adoration. The second idea of drawing near. Verse 21. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I think there's a few things going on here, but notice this is an ongoing process. Verse 22, having our hearts sprinkled. Sometimes when we think um, we become a Christian, this is just a, a static thing that happened in the past. Now it is that. But it's interesting how he, say, he uses this kind of strange tense. It's almost like it's ongoing. Having our bodies washed with pure water. What's he talking about here? Well, I've used the word adoration. Another word is worship. Worship. Notice what he says earlier in verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. This is going on in our heart. We acknowledge that we are both in the past cleansed from our sin, but it's an ongoing process of sanctification and being made clean by what Jesus has done. And we worship and respond in our hearts. And this echoes what other people or other passages in the New Testament talk about worship as well. I'm going to take us to Ephesians 5 and notice the similarities of language. This is the words of another guy called Paul, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from where? From your heart. This is drawing near to the Lord, isn't it? Another passage, Colossians, really kind of the gatherings passage. Let the word of Christ, uh, 3.16 by the way, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Again, hear this language. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Adoration, worship. Obviously, that's a big part of what we do here, right? We're worshipping God, I wonder if we're all in a bit of a competition when it comes to worship. You know, sometimes we think of worship as being isolated into this specific arena, church, religious world. But actually theologians, people who talk and think about this stuff more seriously, say that we're always worshipping. A guy called John Calvin, who's basically a professional smart person from a few hundred years ago, said that our hearts are what he calls idle factories. In other words, we're always seeking to worship. And that's why I think worship is so emphasised in the gathered people of God. This is right worship. 
This is worship which shapes us and purifies us, if we understand what Hebrews is saying, and changes us both corporately and internally as well. Changes us and shapes us corporately and internally as well. I think that's what worship does. It changes us. It shapes us. So question, how are you being shaped? How are you letting yourself being shaped? I feel like culture is trying to shape us in a million different ways, in a myriad of different ways, through false worships, through false idolatries. You can go up into Westville Miranda. It's a different type of cathedral, isn't it? You notice the light's not that different from here and the sort of worship aesthetics. We're being shaped. And it's almost like our little churches, our little Christian bubbles are almost like strongholds of real, true, authentic worship and of adoration, of drawing near to the true God. Is that how you think of church as a stronghold? We're being shaped. We're being transformed. The question is into what? Church shapes us to be more like Jesus. That comes up in other parts of the Bible as well. So, hey, let us draw near, firstly, through access to the living God and through adoration, through worship, through being changed and shaped to be like Jesus. Second thing I think this writer draws out, the writer of Hebrews draws out, is holding fast. Let us hold fast. Look what he says, verse 23. If you could follow in your Bibles, that'd be pretty fat. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. It's interesting, his words here. Let us hold unswervingly. Let us hold unswervingly. It's almost like there's pressure not to do that. I think for his original writers, for his original readers rather, there was incredible pressure from culture and society to swerve, to to renounce Jesus, to turn their backs on him, just like us. And so the reason he uses this word, I think, is because it's so hard, right? It's not natural. It's not easy. We need to hold on. It's like you're gripping. Because if we don't, we're going to get swept away. What do we hold on to? Well, look what he says here in verse 23. We hold on to what the hope we profess. What's he talking about there? I think that's basically the gospel message. That Jesus died um, for our sins, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, was risen again and lives with, with God in heaven. It says that in other parts of the Bible, but he also kind of hints at this earlier in Hebrews. This hope that we're to hold to, verse 3 of chapter 1, I'll just read this out quickly, the sun is the radiance of the God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's almost like he's just summarizing the gospel. This is the hope. This is what we hold to. What? That he, Jesus, that is, made purifications for my sin, for your sin, after which he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We hold. We hold on to that truth. Just like out in, 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 this, in the time in which this is being written, we have false teachers. We have people trying to pull us aside. We have influences which don't have our best intentions in, heart, in mind, do they? Do they? We are to hold truth. I remember years ago when I was learning to drive, um, I was taught by my old man, and he taught me this trick, um, basically with lights and stuff. He said, 
uh, when, when you're driving, if you're looking everywhere, you're going to be all over the road, right? So he said, what you do is you focus on the car that's furthest away in front, the furthest thing that you can see, and you just keep your eyes on that, and everything else will fall into your peripheral vision. And that means your driving will become straight and true, and that's what I do. So you just keep following the road as far off as you can see. I feel like it's a similar thing in terms of faith, right? We keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, things are going to want to get in our way and make us wayward and make us go all over the road. But we hold on to that hope. We keep our eyes on him and the rest of the path becomes more truer. I love how this is also in community. This holding faith, this holding true to the truth. I feel like there's plenty of things in which we struggle, Yeah. Sometimes in the Bible, sometimes in the scriptures, sometimes in the things we're exposed to, the things, things that push our culture pretty hard in the Bible. I feel like he's saying here, you wrestle with it, not in isolation, you wrestle with it in community. It's interesting, I know people who fall away from faith and stop following Jesus and stop calling themselves a Christian, and nearly always, in some way, shape or form, they have stopped gathering, they pull back from the community of God. They stop coming to church, maybe, or they stop engaging with people at church. And therefore, they stop holding to the truth. If we do this in community, it's much easier to hold to the truth, isn't it? To work out those things which we find hard in the Bible, which we wrestle with. We do this in community. We do this in the gathered people of God. We hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. I don't know if you see that here at Established. Maybe we need to do a better job of it. Maybe you need to have a, have a chat with us here at the leadership. That we need to wrestle with things so we can hold to the truth unswervingly that we profess. Number C, or letter C. I think this is really the clincher for Hebrews, right? This is the really big one, right? So let us consider one another. Let us consider one another. Should be obvious. Let's really drive into it. So verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. He goes on. Not meeting or not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There's so much packed into here. So much packed in. Let, let me draw out four really things. This is, this is let us consider one another. So four things. The first thing is just this intentionality of the word consider. Let us consider how. It's so intentional. And I think he's actually talking about kind of getting to church, getting to church community. So how intentional are you about coming to church? I'm sorry, <clears throat> this is kind of the pastor's thing. You know, we get up and we say, read your Bible and we come to church. But it's kind of true. Do you just automatically assume that church time is kind of off, off, off bounds? Oh, I'm at church. Sorry, I can't do that social activity. Oh, sorry, I've got this family thing on off. Sorry, I'm at church. Oh, well, my friends want me to go away. Oh, okay, but can I make, make it work around coming to church? Like, do you, and, and I mean this is just as practically as I possibly can, do you intentionally cordon off church time. Seriously. Do you make it a priority? Now, obviously, things happen. You know, we get sick and 
We go away and emergencies happen and all sorts of stuff. Obviously, I'm not saying you need to be at church 100% of the time, but is it a serious priority? Do you, in the writer, or the writer of Hebrews' words, do you consider it in this way? Is it intentional? I feel like it's going to be so important for us as we rebuild and regather momentum for established church that we're just present. It's intentional, it's deliberate. Consider. Consider how we may do it. Second thing, the responsibility of all God's people. Look how he drives into the second part of the verse here. How we may encourage and spur one another on. This is the responsibility of all people who come to church. I don't know if you think about that, but being here, just simply being here is incredibly encouraging, not only to the people who work at the church or the staff or whatever, but just to, to everyone. That's your responsibility, if I can use that word. Do you wrestle with that? Do you think about that? And on the flip side, if you're not here, that's actually quite discouraging. Now, again, there's grace and there's situations where you can't come to church. So we're not trying to be heavy-handed here. We get that. But do you take seriously your responsibility to your brothers and sisters in Christ with your church attendance, with your gathering? Do you consider one another with intentionality and responsibility? Thirdly, what's the primary purpose? Well, I sort of alluded to this. Well, it's encouraging one another. Look what he says here. Spurring one another on towards love, love of God, but also love of other people. Good deeds, encouraging one another. I think those Ephesians passages and the Colossians passages just talk about that as well, encouraging one another. And it's interesting, we come to church and we can talk about football. And when I say football, I mean some people call it soccer, but it's really football. Or we can talk about kids. Or we can talk about weddings that are coming up. Or we can talk about all sorts of stuff. But are you encouraging people in the faith? Are you saying, how are you going in your walk with Jesus? How are you going with your quiet times? How's, how's your mental health? How, how are you going loving, if you have one, are you have, loving your spouse? Loving your kids? I mean, that's what he's driving at. Four, in light of the day, what's he mean when he says, says that at the end of his, his little chunk here, and all the more as you see the day approaching? Well, I think he's talking about the, the ultimate gathering, isn't he? Now, this is kind of the day of judgment, but also the day when Jesus will make all things right. And the Bible talks about this with a whole bunch of metaphors and, and symbols and languages. But basically, a really common motif is it's like a big party. It's like the ultimate gathering. And so this small gathering, this small regathering that we're focusing on here at Establish, here in, what is it, the 14th of November in 2021, it's just a small pointer to the day approaching the ultimate gathering, the ultimate party, the ultimate church service, if you could even call it that. That might be a little bit limiting with the language, right? The ultimate worship fest. It's amazing when you think about it. We're a little part of that. We're pointing to that. <clears throat> so let us, corporately, corporately as a group, let us draw near, let us draw near to God because of the access we have in him, but also in worship. Let us hold fast to the truth that we have that's been given to us in the gospel. Let us consider one another as we gather. It's interesting in history, and I'm talking about the Romans and the Nazis and the Soviets, as well as in modern-day China and North Korea and communist countries, 
that when they're trying to persecute the church, they always go for the gathering. I don't know if you've thought about that. They go for the gathered church. That's what they outlaw. I wonder if there's something we can learn from that, the importance of the gathered church, the supernatural, spiritual aspect of the gathered church, and the power of us when we gather corporately in Jesus' name. And that's a really good place for us to finish, and I'll pray. Yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Um, yeah, that when we gather, that this isn't just a bunch of bodies sitting in a room taking up space, but that there's power here. There's a supernatural power. Thank you that you work within us when we gather. And thank you that we can gather and worship your name, Lord. Thank you that we can draw near to you. Thank you that we can draw near to others. Thank you that we can encourage and spur one another on in their faith. And I pray for our little church here in Cronulla or in in the Shire that we actually take that seriously, that, that we let these truths really rest and bury themselves in our hearts doesn't become an intellectual exercise, but something that actually changes our practice, changes the way we think about church. And thank you so much just for that privilege of being able to gather today uh, after so long being apart. And we pray that we can build on that and really glorify your name in the next couple of weeks. And we bring these things in Jesus' mighty name right now.